right, welcome to another Pro Video Coalition podcast. Um, we have the usual suspects today. Um, we've got Scott Simmons, who may have to disappear in a moment, right? Yeah, my, my client thinks I'm on a phone call. They don't realize I'm recording <laughs> the podcast. And Actually, they, left, a, they left for a little bit, so we'll see. Turns out they're, they listen to this podcast, so now they're going to know. But, uh, but they don't know when it was recorded. <laughs> All right, and then uh, we've got Gary Adcock. Gary, yeah, how's it going? How's it going, everybody? And Kenny McMillan. Oh, and I'm Damian Allen, and uh, we are going to talk about a lot of really big news this week, or we, we kind of had a couple of weeks. So let's kick it right off with the big industry-shaking news that the Mac Pro, in theory, is in the wild. The 2019 Mac Pro has landed on the beachfronts. And uh, none of us have actually gone within five feet of it, except for Gary. You have actually had paws on I've it, I've actually right? touched one. Yeah, I've actually touched oh. one, and it's pretty amazing. So uh, a friend of mine got one uh, day before yesterday, so I saw did, it Tuesday. Did you so, get that magic feeling like they have in Hallmark when you touched it? Or Oh, hell no. You know what, though? <laughs> I, I will admit, when I, did the, when I did the review of the MacBook Pro 16 and I, I flew to, to New York to to take care of that. It was kind of interesting because I really fell in love with the physical design of the machine. And one of the things I'd, I'd mocked the most about the Mac Pro were the wheels until I actually had a computer with wheels on in front of me. And I thought about all the times doing configurations and every at Mac admin in the country who's ever had to fight with a computer, just being able to spin it around and plug stuff in and pull things out and put it all together. Yeah, It was you know, amazing for that aspect. It's funny. I have two workstations under my main desk, um, and they're both on their side, and they're on wheels. And I so I can just pull the thing in and out. And that was the best thing I ever did was make a little kind of skateboard tray. Uh, so yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Aren't those so wheels like a thousand dollars? Four hundred dollars oh, for the wheels. <laughs> Four hundred dollar yeah. wheels. Hundred dollars. Just get an actual skateboard. Yeah, no kidding. You it, right. What's that? He, he he got one that actually has the wheels. I don't know. No, the one I saw did not have the wheels on it. Oh, oh. I think because I was I was going to ask, what well, is this one, Gary? That you saw? Is it a uh, an, an Apple uh, pre-release for the selected few, or is this an actual purchased? Oh no, this there are there are some purchased ones shipping. Yeah, I, this was an actual purchase one by somebody here in town. Awesome. So. So it was a design group that has done a lot of stuff with Apple in the past. So it was not a pre-release machine, but it was very, I, I'm very sure it was in the first couple thousand that shipped. Yes. I, I got like to say, I'd like to get one. Oh, well, okay. Let's, uh, I'm sure we could just expense one from Probity Coalition for you. Well, let's just do that. <laughs> done. Boom. <laughs> I got to say, I, I feel like I could probably get a Tony Hawk uh, signature on a skateboard for 400 bucks and uh, put it on that. We'll, uh, well, we'll see. I, but The thing I'm thinking about, Damien, is, is that I replaced the wheels on my cart and they didn't cost $100 yeah, a piece. Yeah, I know. There's you know, six-inch soft wheels that I can drive through all kinds of territory. I mean, that's that, that's that thing with Apple stuff in general, right? We, we all know that you buy the lowest possible RAM from Apple, and then you go to a third party and get your RAM for half the price. I mean, it's just the way it's always been on those sorts of things. But let's, so uh, let's talk about this a little bit. I fix it, rates it as easy to repair, which is kind of like a no-brainer just looking at the press release. It's all very open. But there's actually a lot to be said for that, right? I, one of the things I love about my Lenovo P-Series workstation is that thing is beautiful to pull apart. It's very easy to get in. Uh, make changes. Everything's routed well. It makes a, a big deal when you do have to service the machine and update things. And it does look like the Mac Pro fits that bill. I think so. I, I was... it, you can't imagine a tower like that not being user serviceable in in many shape, forms, or fashions. If they had built that form factor again, but then glued everything in and made it where you literally could do very little as as the purchaser. Which then, is kind of what the trash can was, really. Well, the, yeah, but I don't think I never looked at the trash can and thought to myself, "Okay, this is this a, a good form factor that no. I can easily pop a bunch of shit in and out of." It just no, never which is even really mind blowing. You know, it's funny because the Apple—I don't know if you guys remember—they in the nineties they had the cube, and they kind of repeated that mistake three of with them. the trash can. You've got, the <laughs> I've got three of them, and and the the infamous. Um, uh, Kleenex holder that a friend at Apple made for me out of the frame of one. Oh, oh that's hilarious. Oh, <laughs> I like how all the nicknames are just things that aren't that attractive. Trash can, <laughs> trash can. Um, tissue holder. 
<laughs> toilet. But, but I, I will say the one thing that I was surprised at. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the one thing I was really surprised at with the new Mac Pro is is that it still requires tools to take things in and out of it. It still requires a screwdriver. It still requires just that kind of thing. And and the Lenovo and my HP, there are no tools yeah. required to change anything no. in it. I guess that's a really interesting a, thing from Apple. There was a YouTuber that did some some teardowns, and I heard him mention uh, that he did not have to use any. He did it all with his fingers, I think. All right. the well, then maybe that's good. So, I mean, I got to say, I'm not sure how much he was taking it apart though. I like the HP. The HPs, like the Z series, they always feel like they don't quite fit back together right. The Lenovo's <laughs> just are beautiful and snug. They just, they, they did a great job on those. But uh, what? I, I can imagine the, the Apple I'm, would be the same. The thing I'm really thinking about that new uh, Mac Pro is this current job I'm working on, which we're working on an iMac Pro mid-level with the uh, Pegasus RAID, very fast one. But this is a nine-camera shoot they're shooting on Sony FS5s, I believe it is, XAVC at 4K. It's a nine-camera shoot times uh, nine days, and they're shooting about an hour and a half to two hours each day. It's like a multi-part series. Wow. And uh, so the first test was bring nine cameras in. Final Cut 10 is what we're cutting in, and it plays back multiple streams better than any other application out there, but it could not play back nine streams of 4K Sony XAVC, sure. nor did I expect it to. Yeah. So we're transcoding everything to ProRes LT, and that's that's a really robust. It's playing back that nicely, but it is taking a ton of time. And I think to myself, just the transcode factor on something like that, to have that power would be great. But perhaps I wouldn't even need to transcode for this type of job if I had that machine. Yeah, So but I don't have one, so I wish well, I Well, let's, let's talk about the economy of this for a second. So... I mean, that's the big news, right? I, I think we can all safely say probably around 25K is where the machine is highly capable, right? As a good starting yeah, point. Um, eight, and eight, 18, 18 to 25, I, 18 I agree. 25. Okay, and so I think, we'd, I, I think it's hard to argue that you don't get reasonable bang for buck. The question is how, you know, if you're a high-end colorist, no-brainer. Go out and grab one 40, 50K, doesn't matter, the client's going to love it. Um, but if you're an uh, an indie, if you're running your own independent shop, that's a serious chunk of change. That's one thing to invest six to eight grand. Um, but when you're talking about 25k, you know that's that's a significant heft out yeah. of a, an annual budget. Well, it is. Uh, my question is always why why wouldn't you just build? I mean, I know some people are like on a Final Cut or whatever, but you can build or buy a comparably sort of spec. Uh, PC, and you know, if you're a colorist in Resolve, it doesn't matter if you're on Mac, you know. Right. Well, well especially because doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, especially because it's so much of it is about the graphics card, right? So if you if you get a mediocre even workstation and plunk in two high end graphics cards, Resolve is going to smoke. Right. Um, and that's the thing is, you know, I, I think all the parts that go into this thing. Are beautiful and high end and wonderful, but it's kind of that diminishing returns at that level that uh, it it just makes me wonder. I, and I'm I'm just wondering is is Apple sort of saying, well, then you should go get yourself the the iMac Pro. That's the one for you. Um, but it, to me, that lacks the expandability. Well, they don't want well, to cannibalize themselves. They're they they're like, all right, you know, Disney Pixar, you're gonna buy these Mac Pros. Everyone else, you're gonna buy the laptops. And there's nothing in between. No, 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 no. <laughs> Outside of, I, I, this is going to sound so snobbish, but if you're doing serious work, the lap, laptops are never enough. Well, I'm, not I'm enough. a little hyperbolic, but well, you know yeah. what I'm saying. But, but I mean, I'm going to disagree with that because I, uh, I'm a you know, mid-level shop. I spent, I don't know what, maybe 8000 on the iMac Pro. I would pony up another four or five, 6000 if I knew I could get this much more power and expandability right. with I'm not going to do it now because I've got a, I've already got an iMac Pro but if I didn't have one I was looking right now I wouldn't have any problem with it for a couple reasons first of all I am totally you know I'm not a Mac fanboy but I would much rather own and service and keep up with a Mac than I would a PC any any day of the week I I still find many instances where just using the Mac is so much more pleasant than using the PC, even within Premiere or within Resolve or whatever. But the other thing is, 
and this is a big discussion. I, I we may have had this discussion before. I can't remember, but I love the idea of being able to buy this machine, open the box, set it down, hit the power button, and off you go. And I've never seen PCs that don't need some sort of constant level of um, you know TLC and driver updating and oh, don't let Windows do that. And then, God forbid, you want to start putting hardware in it. It's it's this whole other. See, I, I don't know. I, I choose that's I true in twenty nineteen. Yeah, I, I, I would pay a few thousand dollars extra for... not to have to do that. Yeah, my so here's the thing. So I could go now. Granted, this would be used, but I could go on eBay today and probably for around twenty five hundred bucks get a twenty core E five twenty six eighty seven W V three dual Xeon machine. Um, that is is really if I pop a couple of decent graphics cards in there, you know, maybe I'm looking at four four grand when I'm done. But I've got like three year old tech, but it's twenty cores, three gigahertz, uh, and it's gonna. It's going to be a solid machine because it's already pre-built. It's a you know it's a Hewlett Packard that's all baked in, um, and it's you know Windows 10 kind of doesn't suck anymore. So uh, I hear what you're saying. Like used to, but it still sucks in its own way. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm See, with Scott on that. It doesn't suck as much as it used to, and and yeah. having just come up two days working on a PC for you know camera software for a Phantom that only runs in Windows. Um, you know, the thing would all of a sudden just randomly start like doing things that I didn't want it to do, even though all of that's turned off. And, and you know, it's the difference between understanding what a PC does and what a Mac does. The Macs do that things seamlessly in the background. Windows has to tell you. And that's always been the one it is. Well, the other thing. I, I want to take Scott on his, on his comment about eh, you can't do it on a laptop. Being a guy who's been a Thunderbolt guy for a long time, I do probably 95% of my work on my laptops and and stay in that kind of workflow. And you know, man, I've only been shooting 4K for, what, a decade now? <laughs> well, I, I, yes, you, you, yeah. you, you can do it on, on, on a laptop. And, and, and I, there is so much you can do. But I think if you're given the choice between you know, I want to use this laptop or I want to use this twice as three times, four times more as powerful desktop machine. I mean, you're going to choose the desktop machine, but there are places where, yes, the lap, your laptop is the only choice for a number of reasons. And it could be uh, cost wise. And if you can only buy one machine that you need to take places as well as work at you know home in your studio, then, then, the, then the laptop is, is the no-brainer. So I, I, I'll give you a better definitor than that. I actually work on really short stuff. So my largest, longest projects are rarely longer than five or six minutes. Yeah. So that's a totally different aspect of it, too. I may be yeah. shooting 6K, 8K content, but I'm still really only processing you know a couple of minutes worth of footage at any one time. So there is a big difference there. I, I will say to your point, Scott, I mean, one of the things I've noticed over the years is when I used to hire freelance artists and editors to come in, and uh, if there were Mac people and something went wrong with a Mac, they would actually just step away and work on another Mac or something. Whereas if it was a PC guy, he'd spend half the day pulling DLLs out and trying to fix things. And it's like, dude, oh. we're not paying you to be an IT guy. We're paying you to, buy, to be a creative. Yeah, and, and I, don't, uh, I, mean, I don't want to be an IT guy. And I feel like you do have to be more of an IT guy. With the Windows machine. Let me tell you another little niggling thing that I hate about Windows. This is going to sound so petty and so stupid. But are you ready for this? Ready? I'm ready. So the menu bar on Windows software, it's not all the way up at the top of the screen like in a Mac where you can just quickly slip your mouse up there and you're in all your file edit, view, go, window, and all that kind of stuff. It's between the menu bar of the window and and then you finally get the actual drop-down menus. So it takes more time. It's a fraction of a second almost, but it takes more time to get right there when you want to go to drop-down menus. Oh, you're talking about like file, edit, whatever. Yeah. Have you ever noticed this? And no, no one's talking. Yeah, about it this, doesn't really bother. <laughs> you know, no you one know, talks about. I hate this. that. <laughs> well, here's that, the thing. A second times okay, let's years just of working. Let's how just much flip. Time let's just flip that for a second because. A couple of things that drive me crazy on the Mac. Now, I do love the Mac, but um, a couple of this things that drive me crazy in the, on the Mac is that, first of all, I love the Windows key quick launch compared to command space. And the other one is that when you're in a file dialog on Windows, you can copy, paste, create new folders, do whatever you want. On Mac, you pretty much have to close the app, go to the finder, move the files around, then go back into the dialog in the app. 
And, uh, you know, so I, there were just conveniences on both sides. That's my thing. As I, yeah. well, I, I, it's, it's total personal preference, absolutely. But, but the one thing that I will say to your point on the Mac that I agree with is that Apple has built a very specific e ecosystem. So unlike Microsoft that has to make Windows play with a myriad of hardware configs, there's a natural inherent stability to Apple because they know the machines that are going to be running it and the ones that aren't, apart from the Hackintoshes. Yeah. And so that that does add a level of, of solidness to the whole experience, hopefully. Yeah. I, suppose... um, I want to change... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead, Kim. I want to change the subject back to the Mac Pro for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. But, uh, I thought you had a Windows point. You got a Windows point there. I oh, well, I was just going to say that I've, I've been building my own computers for the past, you know, 15 years. Um, and I and I can't say that... I mean, even right now, I you know, Premiere doesn't really crash on me. Um, I, you know, I don't have these random like windows things that you guys are talking about. And, but I think part of that does have to go into the fact that I am, uh, the nerdiest person that I know. So being my own it guy is, is like inherent yeah. in my being. So and, it's, and I, I would agree. Just like, I would agree with you, Kenny, in the same respects, but I do think it's because we have 20 years of tinkering knowledge, right? And right. if we didn't have that and something went wrong, you, like something goes wrong, I usually know what happened. Uh, if I right. didn't have that, it could be hours or days of searching forums to try and figure out what's wrong with my machine. So I think that, experience that is, is definitely... Gee, OS 9 comes to mind. Back to Mac Pro. Back to Mac Pro, the afterburner card. Yes. I love the idea of... You know, that's sort of like the red rocket for, for ProRes in a sense. I like, oh, this is a fantastic deal. Two, two grand that can totally accelerate workflows tremendously in theory. I think that's fantastic. But then what I was reading was that it will not, uh, it only works for playback and decoding, but does not accelerate encoding, which seems to me to be what the? incredibly silly. <laughs> Why would you not? And, and but here's what I'm wondering, Gary. You may be able to an answer this. Is that something that could be added later? And could they add support for other codecs? Or do you think it's literally ProRes only hard coded no. into that? Well, it, it depends be. on the FPGA. It depends on how they put the FPGA in it. And, and that's yeah. one of those What's things. FPGA? That in theory, FPGA is uh, is the center for most of the the hardware that we use. It's a floating point graphics. Uh, Field programmable gate array. So Thank you. I always get it wrong. It basically allows them wow. to essentially rewire the silicon on you know in the field. Now the question uh, is whether the way they've designed the interface allows it to be reprogrammed from the computer or where you'd have to like send it in or something to change it. I, I would hope that you could actually reprogram it with a firmware update from the machine. Well, most people yeah, most manufacturers now are building any PCIe card is going to become with FPGAs in it, and the majority of them are user programmable, except for NVIDIA's. NVIDIA's is one of the few that's not. But it's interesting how you know this is AJA and Avid and Blackmagic and and DVS and most of the companies that make I/O work on the same principle. As do you know this is embedded chip technology. It's everywhere around us. But this is the technology, and it depends on how they built it. You know this is it was one of the things that that. Red did in the beginning with the Red Rocket card is they actually allowed it. They actually allowed it to encode, but they didn't enable it at first. And mm. that may be what Apple's doing. Who knows? I mean, you can't imagine them sort of. Uh, I don't want to say hamstringing it because you. It's it's only made for playback and decode, and only for ProRes. It seems like there could be a big future built into the thing, if um, because you know we, we, there was a time when. Uh, do you guys remember the uh, what were the the hardware cards and Avids that would accelerate um, kind of like After Effects and it was like the Ice cards or something? I don't know. Oh yeah, I paid know. twenty grand for one of those things. It was a boat anchor eight months yeah, later. The, those were big deals for a short period of time. But now that we're in this, uh, you know, four K, eight K, God forbid me even use the word sixteen K world, like I can see the need for this type of this type of acceleration where we've never we never needed it in a DV world. We never needed it in a ten eighty world. We don't really need it in a four K world. But maybe the eight K and the sixteen K world, I can see this being a fantastic thing if it can do more. Yeah, and maybe just with what it does, but it just seems like it would it would need it will. Be better off if it can do more than you know. The other thing, right now, the other thing is, is up, go ahead, go ahead, yeah. Damien. But I want to bring up something say, real, on the real quick. Yeah. It will be interesting to see what Apple does in a year or two if they 
do actually bring the price down on these and introduce new models and and we do get something that that for six to eight grand your your average house can afford to use for AK work. Yes. Well, and and one of the things that I ran across interesting was on the H the XTR displays, and that Apple's only technically certified them with three computers, um, and that had to do more with how they handle drop frame compression rather than it did with you know non-integer compressions and things like that and how playback was handled by that and and all of us know the period of time when Macs were notorious for not playing anything back in a non-integer format you know we'd push everything to 30 it would push everything to 24 and you had to have some kind of piece of hardware to do that and now it's only with the 2018 2018 MacBook Pro the the 16-inch MacBook Pro, the iMac Pro, and the the new Mac Pro are the only computers that they'll actually allow non-integer frame rates to play back properly on, on the new display. And that's another thing to talk about because that's a real interesting part about this, that they have segregated a chunk of the world finally that have that they've left behind. And and you know, you have to think about the United States and Japan in particular with with non-drop frame non-integer frame rates that this has been a big problem for you uh now do you, you mentioned I don't remember if you mentioned the iMac pros there because I had a discussion on the facebag group one of the facebag groups about um they were the new display Thunderbolt 3 but the iMac pro is absent from machines that support the new uh that new, new uh, okay. This is this is one of those things I got from somebody else. Yes, it is absent from it because of this non-integer thing, but it does work with it. It will put it, take a signal. It'll take. It's just as not far certified. Know, it'll, it'll, uh, yeah, it's just not certified for the frame rate conversion for um, the non-integer frame rates. So if I said it, if I included the Mac Pro, I, the iMac Pro, I was in error. So interesting because right. I, I it's hit, and also said on there on the Apple spec that. Um, other something like other Mac supported with a uh, with a um, eGP a Blackmagic eGPU or something like that. Right. Um, yeah, that would be the other thing. If you put in an eGPU, it does it has a graphics power to handle the non-integer frame rates. And I just thought that was really interesting. Is that they they sell a good chunk of their gear in the United States and they don't support the frame rates for their uh, non-linear workflows that they keep promoting. This is the same battle we had when Final Cut 10 came out. It doesn't support professional workflows in the way you want it to. And that's probably not something the that display. they can add later. That's probably, uh, I mean, one one comment on that group is that it's the, that Thunderbolt. That's an older Thunderbolt spec in the iMac Pro, and it's been, you know, the Thunderbolt spec has been changed a little bit since then. So this is the new. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what that means, the hardware, what that exactly means, but that was the, uh, the difference on the the spec on the iMac iMac Pro and the other one is minimal enough to be almost non-existent. Yes, it is different, but it's not enough to cause that kind of error. It has to do with the amount, the amount of graphics processing power in it, is what I was told. All right, you know what? Kenny and I, our eyes are starting to glaze over, so yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, I, I want to hit up, we, we have a, a big news item that we need to talk about, which is California AB5, but let's just quickly jump through in a, a couple of other pieces of news during the week. Um, one is that uh, big screen VR did a deal with Paramount to screen a bunch of their catalog uh, as pay-per-view in VR. And uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Big Screen. Have any of you guys tried Wait, it out? Wait, hang on. My eyes are glazing over. You just said screen <laughs> in VR. Well, you got to put the VR headset on. That, that, that'll stop oh, the okay. glaze. And it fills um, it up. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, it's funny. I, I was saying before we got on the air here that uh, I, I'm not a huge proponent of VR as a consumption like as a consumer device, even though it's starting to take off a little bit more with the Oculus Quest and things like that. Um, but I, I spend countless hours in it because I actually develop for VR. And so I have tried this big screen VR out. Basically, the idea is that you are in a movie theater. So you look around and you can actually see other people that are logging in from all over the world sitting next to you in theater seats and you're looking at a big screen. And even though the resolution of the VR headset is limited, because especially us males, we have very uh, singular tunnel focus and we're constantly scanning a big screen, you actually do get the higher resolution of the theater screen. And so in theory, it can feel like you're actually a movie theater. The reality wait, is... Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Did yeah, you yeah, just yeah. say you can look around and see people sitting around you? Oh, yeah. They're really obnoxious too. They Sometimes they're standing in front of you and you have to you know, move... <laughs> 
And this is in the VR headset you put on. Yeah, you put it on, and it's that is so to, fucking stupid. It now, is why re- in no the kidding. world? Okay, would you social network? So here's yeah, that's the that's the <laughs> thing. This, Facebook is still trying to justify having bought Oculus for no apparent reason, and trying to justify that one of the most singular isolating experiences is actually supposed to be a socially engaging thing. But um, what's interesting is. The big Achilles heel of this whole big screen thing. So they want me to pay, you know, I don't know what it is, six bucks to watch Top Gun in 3D in a VR movie theater. First of all, I have to sit there for, you know, 90 to 120 minutes with a VR headset on watching a movie. Secondly, so far, every time I've looked at it, the compression on these movies, especially the 3D ones, is so horrible. You know, when you see 3D compressed and the compression artifacts sticks at the screen plane so it looks like there's little kind of blobs um you know there's just no adequate bandwidth for it so it's kind of a non-starter for me but it it it's interesting they gave it a shot well even if there was bandwidth i'm gonna tell you this is doa no one's gonna do this i i agree i think uh, i mean that's the big problem with vr in general you know it's it's a very expensive thing to develop for a uh, develop end user content for it's hard to deliver it and uh you know, 90% of the women on the planet don't want to ruin their hair and makeup putting one of those things on their head. So, I mean, that's not being sexist. That's just a market reality. Especially if they're on a date. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a weird... In a theater for a yeah, movie. It's a, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, quickly touch on Netflix streaming numbers. Deadline came out with an article that over 50% of streamers are now outside the U.S. for Netflix, and that's more than 90% of their growth. So, you know, we're we're talking about uh, Disney Plus and all these other, and Apple coming online with their offerings, but obviously Netflix is, you know, focusing their growth worldwide, and it's paying off for them. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like- it's, just, it's amazing how much content there is on there when the stuff that they're doing it's just there it is it is amazing I mean, it's a netflix world and we're just living in it and watching shit in it that's that's well that's i don't know if you is. guys have played around with disney plus yet but i've done it for a couple of weeks now the kids love it you know they revisit some of their cartoons they saw when they were a little younger um but man you run out of content content really quickly there but Once that's, you watch- that's the thing though i mean like back in the day remember when we had all those giant um, plastic foam VHS. You had you had to buy a shelf specifically for those Disney VHS tapes. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like in terms of like, I was really against Disney Plus as a as a concept because I think Disney's trying to take or actively is taking over the world. But uh, I have it because it came free with Verizon, you know. And uh, in terms of percent of films that I would be interested in watching, Disney takes Netflix. By far, I mean, like all. Maybe I don't want to watch any of those princess films or anything, but like those are objectively good movies, you know. Yeah. And, you, and you might have people, you know, if you have kids or whatever, they're going to want to ratchet through them. So, in terms of like, well, a, Scorsese a would, would say they're not cinema, but they're movies. <laughs> sure. But they're but they're good f- homeland. You know, no, it is reality television's not television either, but it's still fun to watch occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Except it's politics. <laughs> I mean, and it's the price point is great, right? For introducing. That, I mean, no one's really complaining. I, I'm not getting as much as Netflix, but you're paying like four bucks a month, you know. Yeah. And honestly, like The Mandalorian has been fantastic. Baby Yoda rocks. Baby Yoda. I'm still I trying to convince, convince Scott's skeptical. You spend ten minutes with Baby Yoda, and it's all over. I'm yeah. very. I think it's. I think they're manipulating us with Baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, like I got Verizon the other day. I uh, say an upgrade to an unlimited plan. You get a year of it for free. So I'll probably. I don't have I don't have an unlimited sale plan, so that's I think we're going to do that. I saw a note I saw a note online today that said it's the number one selling toy on Amazon, and it doesn't ship for three more months. Doesn't ship till I March. It doesn't ship till June. That's what I heard. The official one. Oh, oh yeah, I, I mean Mattel no, I put saw, out a render, months. and they were like, "Buy this, pre-order this." Yeah, that's have, a, I'm shocked they didn't have it after Christmas. Oh no, kidding. That's somebody that fell down on the ball right yeah, there. Yeah, someone screwed up there. That was Disney. Lucasfilm would have had a had a door. A toy. Well, you know, maybe part of it was they were trying to keep it under wraps. I don't know when people found out about Baby Yoda, but it, well, uh, they would have had to file a patent or something for the toy, and oh, people wow. people scour oh, uh, yeah. scour those things. Yeah. Uh. Um, okay, let's talk about mergers because a lot went on um, on the on the sort of the uh, operator front here. 
the, the big ones probably Red Giant and uh, Maxon. So, and that, from what I understand, that was actually a merger. It wasn't an acquisition. Is that right? Does anyone know? No one uh, knows. That was what I'd heard too. And the way they talk about it, it was a merger. So, so if you're I not aware, Maxon makes Cinema 4D, which is probably the most popular. It's certainly for broadcast and motion graphics is the most popular 3D tool for that particular application for motion graphics. And then uh, Red Giant, who make all the suites of plugins uh, for After Effects that everyone uh, uses and loves. Uh, they're not just for After Effects, though. They and they have right, Premiere and Falcon and yeah. Pluralize, yeah. they own Pluralize now. My, so, my favorite tools ever. You know, giant is a good term because we, you know, we, Adobe, you know, years ago swallowed up Macromedia and they continue to kind of consolidate. They made some interesting choices uh, lately with, you know, buying Substance, which was an unusual acquisition. Uh, Cinema 4D acquired Redshift a few months ago, which is a GPU-based renderer to kind of really uh, lock that in. So uh, they could be... A real powerhouse, right? In terms of motion graphics and uh, that, and really kind of tying the bow on that whole market. Well, I think there are, you know, separately there are powerhouses in their own right. There are definitely big names in, in the in the industry, despite the fact that you know, like Red Giant doesn't come to NAB anymore. But there, um, I, I know folks at, at both companies, and I think what my impression has always been: they're just they're good companies, they're good people there. You know, they're they're small, but yet they're doing they're doing good stuff. You can talk to people there. You can you know, give them your opinions. You can ask them questions. And it was, it's kind of, it's one, it's a sort of a, I thought it was kind of a feel good merger as opposed to one of those like, Oh my God, this is going to suck for the end user. Yeah. I think that's probably a, a well, there's like very, a very little overlap really. Right. I mean, that's what's oh, very cool. little, almost none. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, but that, but the interesting part about that is, is that there would be overlap in the, the engineering aspects and the product development aspects that would add, actually add to each other. Think about using some of the red giant plugins within cinema 4d now and being able to do particles and those kind of things better than what right. you do already. And so there's, there's some real advantage for both companies. Doesn't Red Giant have some kind of compositor as well? Like if you didn't want to use After Effects, they have like a. I feel like they have some kind of. Host yeah, they, it's I could. Uh, oh yeah, that's that's their their new thing, Super Comp. Okay. Yeah, and apparently Which, it's pretty good. So that could be interesting. I mean, if they if if I I think it would be a bad move for Cinema 4D to step away from After Effects because there's such a tight integration there. But if if they made that integration marry really well, which no doubt would be on the radar, then that could be a compelling little combo there. Yeah, it's going to be fun to see exactly what uh, what what happens with them all and stuff. So, what were the other acquisitions this week? There were a couple more. Um, Scott, well, Viacom bought CBS at one point. Yes, that's uh, Viacom that's, just continues to swallow the entire earth. That's, yeah, that's pretty big. Viacom and Disney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything leads back to them. In fact, we're probably all employed by either Viacom and Disney and just don't realize it. Yeah. Um, well, and the th like, I remember learning about uh, you know Paramount versus the United States in college and going and then thinking like, oh, that was smart. And then ever since then, I've just watched things consolidate and consolidate yeah. and consolidate. And, and then I read an article saying that I don't know if someone lobbied someone, but the the um, they're planning on revisiting that case. Because apparently streaming doesn't count as a as like a movie theater, so they're like, ah, maybe maybe Disney can own their own theaters again. Wow. Well, and that's that's a whole thing too. Revisiting that the original case for you know movie distribution that could change the entire marketplace. Oh, and for that's sure. Kind of that's that's a huge deal, and I don't think people are are considering that as much as they should be. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's it's a it really is a, a crazy world. This whole transmedia thing, we don't know where it's going to end up over the next few years. I mean, uh, you know, the the whole industry can get upheaved by a, a few punks in a garage making a service that can upload all kinds of random videos and calling it YouTube, and uh, that thing getting bought by a company like Google. You just never know what's going to happen. It's it's uh, it's, it's pretty still radical. It still blows my mind that there's like people in college right now who basically don't remember a time before YouTube. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, it's, like uh, like when how do you get rid of that service? Like how does YouTube go? Like all right, well we got to shut our doors. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the same thing with Google. I mean, you know, you you laugh at it, but I'm. My 90-year-old mother had a hard time understanding that you just Google the internet. You go up on Google and you go on the internet and you ask it a question and it answers your question for her. She was no, trying to get her streetlights. Yeah, she was trying to get her streetlights serviced and didn't think about it. And and there's a lot of those generational things that are changing that people are going to forget how to do basic functionality, like you know, how to read a book. Well, let's <laughs> uh, let's let's wrap with the last couple of things here. First up, uh, we got a. Providia Coalition exclusive on the camera comparison chart. You want to talk about that, uh, Gary? Well, yeah. I'm because I'm one of the co-authors of it, along with Tom Fletcher. We we kind of make it a big deal. And while the original launch of the chart is always goes on in ASC Magazine for the American Society of Cinematographers, because Tom is an associate member there. One of the things we've never done in the 11 years of the chart is actually do a last minute update to finish the year. Because there's been so many cameras dropped this year, we're actually going to do a last-minute update of the camera comparison chart. It's going to drop uh, probably on the 28th or 29th of December. And what we're trying to do is just remind people that those cameras are always changing because we've added the FX9 uh, from Sony, the C300, C500 Mark II. And then Red just last week announced 6K upgrade for the Gemini that's a software-only uh, Dragon. That, Dragon. No, Gemini. Gemini. Uh, Dragon. Dragon? Okay, yeah. I thought it was Gemini. I no, just, I just read it last night. That's the only reason why. Oh, because I thought it was a jump from 5K to 6K on the Gemini sensor is one I read. So no, maybe, it, I wonder if it's multiple. Yeah, we could we could do a little quick goog here. But um, yeah, it was the Dragon 5K that they had uh, out. And then they were like, yeah, it's just a firmware update. Um, it won't work for the Raven and it won't work for, you know, yeah. what the other Dragon sensors, but the... Um, but but I mean you know that red actually gave somebody more resolution on, for a change so for free for free yeah without charging on an existing camera that had been around for a while but so, that's kind of an interesting <laughs> thing when you have when you've got those kind of cameras that are the lower price point cameras the 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 mainstream media cameras that a lot of people use for production are are dropping at times we they're not used to and it's it's pretty interesting to see what's going on with Canon and the C500 Mark II yeah so let me let me things. ask you guys I, this I bought one of those. As someone that's been, you know, I'm a VFX guy. I've dabbled in cameras over the years, but you know, as someone that hasn't sort of been in the market for one for a while, is is 2019, 2020 a good time to buy a camera that's going to last you a while, or or is are we still very much in flux in terms of uh, how much better the dynamic range is getting and that kind of thing? I think it's going to continually keep growing. Um, cameras are one of those things that that constantly are changing. I mean, you know, if we'd have been talking about full frame sensors five years ago and it wasn't red, people would be laughing at us. And now it's the rage, and everybody has to have them. And that's you know the offshoot of all of these DPs coming out of DSLRs, and they like that look and they like that feel, and they want the depth of field they're used to without having to go to the classic Super 35 sensor, which in the digital world is a as a SPC, APS, APC, APS, APS, no, it's APS not, it's APSC, I there always get it wrong. So, but it, that's one of the things I found really interesting is, is that there's always this, this, oh, I have to have what I'm used to. And that's why this, we have this great um, renaissance in large, in what they're calling large format cameras. But right. to me, large format is only going to be the Alexa 65, the Red VistaVision, you know, the 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 only true VistaVision size sensor that's on any camera in the marketplace, no matter who markets that term, is actually the Sony Venice. It's, it's one that's within 1%. Yeah, within 1% of the VistaVision, the traditional VistaVision uh, image size. So that's kind of interesting how this is going. Um, but, you know, the cameras are changing faster than anything, and the, the camera comparison chart is really popular. The 2018 version had 1.6 million downloads. Damn. And, and it's wow. something that we give away for free, and there's no advertising on it. Um, I love because I get pictures from all over the world when people see it. They send me a picture of it. And, it, it, you know, we print it poster size in rental houses and things. And it's, it's one of the most – it's one of the proudest projects I've ever worked on because we have shared the knowledge that we have with the industry at a level that I, I think is kind of rather astounding. Cool. Well, 
Uh, so, uh, release date you're estimating right now? It, it, it's gonna it's gonna drop before the end of the year. We're thinking that uh, it's gonna drop right before New Year's. So it's we're we're gonna do it so it drops in because it's still a 2019 chart. I can't drop it after the first of the year. I've got to awesome. drop it this year. Um, look for the date when it appears on Pro Video Coalition. <laughs> Sweet. I will also say for uh, the listeners. I um, will be taking ownership of one of those C500 Mark IIs here very soon. So I will have a lot of uh, you know, thoughts and real-world use and whatnot. That's going to be my main camera going forward. Awesome. That'll be cool yeah. to check out. Okay, so uh, let's get to one last news item here. And uh, this is one that uh, – it's funny. Kenny and I were talking about this. Uh, most – Californians in the film industry, or a lot, seem to be completely ignorant of the impact that this thing is about to have, or that it's even coming. And that is uh, California's is it AB five proposition? It's just a, it's a just, bill. It's just, I think it's just called yeah, a, California AB five. Yeah, and yeah. and some Assembly people call it five. the call it the Uber law or something because in theory it's supposed to make the world wonderful for Uber drivers. Um, it feels a lot like a nice way for the tax the California and uh, government to get make sure they get all their tax money everywhere they can uh, but maybe that's just being cynical but it has some massive impacts uh, on us in the film industry uh, Kenny you want to talk a little bit about it real quick yeah so I I mean I literally just got read up on this last night and I'm still um, reeling <laughs> pretty confused honestly because essentially what it seems to say is that you can't if you work in, if you are a filmmaker or you have a small production company, like I have a small production company, but it's just me, you know, and then yep. I hire out my friends when necessary. Which is how you make a living. I mean, really, that's that's the that's the best way to stay profitable. It's very hard to scale. Right. And so now it seems that I can't because I would pay my friends. I mean, I would just pay them if I could, but no, you got to 1099 them so that they, you know, taxes, yada, yada. But it seems now that if, you are doing a job for someone else that that other person um, that is part of that other person's day-to-day -day business, you now have to make them an employee. So that yes. means if I hire a sound guy, I have to make him an employee because we both do uh, filmmaking. But if yes. but you can hire like an independent tax person. Or a painter to paint your house or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, so if – so. Uh, let me see. I had a. I had an exam. There was. I finally found a website that had a, uh, a mild exam or like written examples called Top Sheet. I don't know who Top Sheet is, but um, so uh, you, so the whole thing is that um, it's not all 1099s. California uh, has given us this ABC test. They're calling it to determine whether or not independent contractors can remain independent or if they need to be added to a payroll. So the A is that the hiring entity does not control or direct the worker in performing the working fact, performing the working fact or under the terms of a contract. Basically, it's saying Nike can hire a videographer as a 1099 because Nike makes shoes. So no, no biggie there. Um, uh, the work performed is outside the quote-unquote usual course of the hiring entity's business. So if you're working on a film set and the film requires use of a car, but the car breaks down, you can hire a mechanic to fix the car as a 1099. That's fine. Um, the, the C is uh, the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as that involved in the work performed. So as you can see, they've used real English here. Um, the example being you can hire a non-union non accountant for your taxes since accountants regularly work across many fields and industri uh, industries. But because my business is making films and videos, any position who regularly works in making films or videos will now be considered an employee. Yeah. means W-2, means workman's comp, means insurance, wow. means health benefits potentially, right? I mean the whole shebang. Yeah, so yeah, you'll probably get around the health benefits because in most of the days, hour, yeah, then, well, you the don't thirty have, day clause, yeah, yeah, you know. thirty but, hours a but, week or something, and yeah, and and those are interesting things, but well, but thirty hours on a film set that's two days, you know. But even you know. payroll tax is a total nightmare. I mean, that adds a significant amount of uh, cash alley. To, I mean, that's one I thing know. I discovered when we went from uh, just when I went from being just an independent contracted to forming a company and then payrolling people, even payrolling myself through my company, 
uh, is significant overhead over just getting paid on a job. Well, and oh, this yeah. also. Uh, go ahead. No, go on, go on, go on. Oh, I was going to say this also affects, unfortunately, us. Because if you are, well, <laughs> I mean, in terms of pro video, because this also affects um, uh, writers, freelance writers. Yeah. They've, they've said that you can only submit um, 35 pieces of content a year to remain as a 1099. Otherwise, you have to be an employee. And there's tons of news organizations that rely on independent writers and journalists to um, you know, keep, keep their publications up. Like, who yeah. just submits 35 things? Yeah. I mean, uh, you you know, if, uh, if you want to be visible. 35 a week. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think I got 35 this year. So I'm actually trying I'm to look at my. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I especially if, if you're counting on uh, that as part of your kind of social media strategy, whatever you want to call it, you, you got to write. Um, it's, yeah. uh, you know what, what's interesting is. I'm not sure how this is all going to play out because it could really gut a big chunk of the industry. Or else, I mean, it could mean that instead of hiring the guy down the street, I have to hire the guy in Arizona just for this very or reason. Chicago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chicago. There you go. It's like crazy. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it's arguable that it's, it's any ben benefit to, like, if, you, if the idea is to protect the worker, you're protecting them out of a job. Right, because you're saying, "Hey, we can't hire you. I'm going to hire the guy from Arizona." So, there's your California protection for you. So, if you're telling us that it's not about collecting taxes, but it's about protecting the worker, it it's it feels a little bit like a bait and switch. Um, well, because it's far too broad. Like, if they yeah. wanted to, well, if it was aimed at like Uber drivers, just make a bill about that. Why do you have to do all freelancers? Well, but you look at how much they could potentially lose from all of that income going out of state. Yeah, I mean, right. look and what happened well, when they when they when they did the the incentives and changed those, and you know things moved to Georgia and Louisiana and everything else, and then they dropped the incentives and it came back. And this is the kind of thing we're talking about is is that they're they're doing something to change the incentives place and how you know taxes are raised in the state of California, and it may actually drive revenue out of state into other yeah. film markets. Well, I mean, and and it's not just us, right? I mean, uh, it's it's all kinds of industries that will have an issue with this. Although we tend to be one of the more typical places where you're constantly hiring freelancers for a certain amount of time. You know, um, I, I do have to say that there is a legitimate issue here that that in theory gets addressed by this. But you know, um, certainly the visual effects industry in California has relied on people skirting the subcontractor laws for years because right as a subcontractor if i subcontract someone i'm not allowed to dictate their hours and i'm not allowed to provide their equipment but if you go to just about any vfx studio in california you're going to find them working on workstations provided by the company and being told when to show up to work and when to go home and right. uh and probably told to work 10 11 hours a day um and but being put under contract not as w2 so that's always been a struggle for me because I've really worked hard to um, adhere to the laws and those things and it's not being competitively advantageous by any means when I've got to compete with you know the switch the the California version of the sweatshop down the street um, so I, I I'm I applaud anything that would kind of straighten out some of those work practices uh, oh, but sure. at the same time the idea of just basically pricing everyone out of a job just is bizarre to me yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna lie. Like, once I read up on that, like, I'm scared because I'm not. Uh, I, I've never really worked for a larger company. I've always uh, worked for myself, and now it's like, well, do, should I just call up, you know, company three? And well, just now, be like, now hey, the, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna be your whipping antidote, boy. The antidote is the guy that you're gonna hire has to go out and spend eight hundred bucks with the California Franchise Tax Board, uh, spend two three hundred bucks on bizfilings.com or whatever, and create. Uh, an S corp or a C corp, and then they can, uh, then their company can, you can bill their comp or their company can bill you, and they're no longer a contractor. You're dealing with another company, oh, uh, right? Okay. Which is how mine is set up. So it's yeah. It's, so know, if I've you're doing up, that, 
you have to, and it's one of those things that I had a really sharp accountant a few years ago, and I think he called it seven, eight years ago now, um, when I incorporated for just that reason, and and the advantages to it have been astounding. Yeah. Um, now but, here's but the it cash. does cost money. It, it yeah, does it costs, cost money. That's number one. You you gonna have to pay whether you do any work or not through that company every year. You have to pay eight hundred bucks for the privilege of having it with the franchise tax board. Uh, you end up having to your your taxes get a lot more complex because now you have to pay yourself distribution and payroll and work out what the right balance is that to not trigger an audit. And the other issue that can really come up is let's say Kenny that you have one guy that you use all the time and you kind of use him twenty hours a week, you know, or, or it gets to that because you get so much work and he he's available. Well, if he if you become his his primary like ninety percent of his workload. Uh, then you run into jeopardy of them saying, well, he shouldn't be a contractor at all. He should be an employee because you're his only client. If he had five clients, then that makes a legitimate reason for this company to do business as a company. But if if it's just a shell company for another way for you to get around W2ing him, right. um, then you can run into jeopardy. I mean, in fact, I got laid off by Apple two or three times <laughs> because I was contracting them and they were 90% of my business at the time. And so their subcontracting company would send me nasty emails and say, "We got to, we, you can't do this. We're going to get ordered and be in trouble." And so there's, it's, there's no simple path forward, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, it just sounds like I finally have to buck up and get a, an actual accountant because I've been using that QuickBooks self-employed, which is pretty cool. But yeah, uh, no, it's that's the time you have to switch. That's what happened with me. I I did my, the online tax thing for a while, and then. It just goes crazy as soon as you start dealing with. I got audited three years in a row. I mean, our company got audited three years in a row, and it's like he says, you know, you won't have this problem if you incorporate, and we incorporated it almost immediately for that yeah. reason. Yeah. So it's uh, so hey, good good news for uh, accountants, I guess. Not yeah. <laughs> All right, I I think we probably need to wrap. We've gone pretty long. Um, one other thing I just want to mention, uh, new content at MovieAllo.com this week. Uh, I added a piece on uh, clearing a path, path for the zombie apocalypse, which is basically <laughs> uh, just how to clean plate of roads so that if you just have one hero car and you can't shut down Main Street, it shows you how you can uh, clean plate out everything except the car that, that you need driving on the road. Um, and it, it's an intermediate thing. So if you're not familiar with Fusion or Nuke or Mocha, you might want to Read some of the other MovieAllo.com content or watch some of the other MovieAllo.content first. Uh, but that's a nice little tight, you know, eight to ten minutes technique there. Anything else we missed out on talking about? I think we're uh, good. So. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be back in before Christmas. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. And uh, have a prosperous new AB5 year in California. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. It's always All fun right. to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Take care.